This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the invisible chains, human trafficking, debt bondage and exploitation in New Zealand. A lot of them actually regret coming here. This is the height of exploitation if a person is trafficked. Filipinos are trusted workers the world over and in New Zealand provide an essential stream of staff in dairy, in construction and in nursing. But poverty and desperation leaves them vulnerable to abuse and forced labour. And the abuse is not just here. Online child sex exploitation by New Zealanders is on the rise there. RNZ's immigration reporter Jill Bonnet travelled to Manila to look at what drives immigrants to leave and what happens when they arrive. Immigration is big business worldwide, and here in the Philippines, it's an export industry. Two million Filipinos a year move abroad to work, make enough money to feed and school their families, and to dream of saving enough for a different future. The chairperson of Migrante Philippines, Armin Hernando, says New Zealand is a dream destination for many. That's why there are many uh, groups here, opportunistic groups who take advantage of those dreams of the Filipinos. So there are many cases here of human trafficking where the Filipinos are being fooled of uh, having work in New Zealand, but then after arriving there, they were left out. That exploitation includes education trafficking, where students are duped into paying high fees by agents with false promises for courses they didn't need. Armin Hernando says the students sometimes end up in unlawful work practices or sex work. There are now 10 million Filipinos working abroad, more than one out of every 10. And though a collection of agencies have been set up to combat it, many are exploited and worse, abused, beaten and even raped. Bernard Alalio, who runs the Philippine Overseas Employment Administration, says it helps three to 5,000 clients every day. There are a lot of people who are trying their luck to work abroad, so that's why there are a lot of people lining up on our offices. The agency offers a range of assistance, from licensing the employment agencies to employment facilitation and worker protection. The executive director of the Commission on Filipinos Overseas, Astraval Pimentel Naik, helps workers heading overseas by registering them, giving pre-departure information and country-specific seminars. We also have our 1343 action line against human trafficking, a hotline that operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and quickly responds to emergency or crisis calls on matters related to cases of human trafficking and other forms of exploitation, whether in the Philippines or abroad. She says labor migration is only part of the immigration picture in the Philippines. The Philippines has gone beyond labor migration. Many Filipinos leave the country for reasons ranging from marriage migration to family reunification, from educational and business opportunities to professional advancement. The executive of the Center for Migration Advocacy, Ellen Sana, explains how overseas work was meant to be a temporary solution for workers when it started in the 1970s. But even those lucky enough to find a good position in a good country sometimes find the money they send back home only covers the bare necessities. After food, remittances are most likely to be spent on children's education, health 
and paying off debt. The paradox of migration and the context of the families that, uh, as we say, we have to be apart in order to be together. You know, someone has to go abroad to, to get a job, to, to get money, so to keep the family together, to cover for the cost. Despite efforts to protect workers overseas, Ms Sana says local and national laws, bilateral agreements, social services agreements and the like can only do so much. But then the thing is, uh, despite all these measures to protect, our migrants continue to experience abuses and exploitation. One main explanation for that is because a lot of them are compelled to take the migration option, even if they are ill-prepared, even, and even if they are abused, they know that they have rights, but they fear that they might get deported, and ergo they will lose their jobs, so they will not complain. And so they end up just enduring the situation for as long as they are not coming home in the bats. But the financial support the overseas worker provides to their family comes at a high cost. Here at the Polytechnic University of the Philippines, many students' education are paid through remittances. But they are also the ones who've spent time growing up without parents. Jason Kuvenar had relatives overseas for many years, and while he says there are financial benefits, there were also negatives. There are strained um, family values and family um, relationships towards each others because somewhat families are being torn apart because from time to time parents or mostly the adults are going back and forth to the foreign soil. While there are social issues that arise from so many Filipinos heading overseas for work, it's the exploitation of many Filipinos at home and abroad that many are trying to tackle. Worldwide, there are an estimated 40 million victims of modern slavery, including forced labor, sex trafficking and forced marriage. And many Filipinos can be counted in that number. The Philippines, made up of more than 7,000 islands, is home to stunning scenery and beaches. In the 1970s, it was on a par with Japan in its development path. But corruption and mismanagement now mean that in Asia, only Myanmar and Laos lag behind it in terms of the proportion of its population below the national poverty line. People simply can't find work, and not work that pays well enough to clothe, feed and educate their families. Poverty leads people into even more desperate choices than overseas work, and some Filipinas end up being trafficked for sex and others put their child up for paedophile viewers online as a source of income. The executive director of the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, Jean Enriquez, says conflict and natural disasters are also among the chaotic ingredients that lead to child prostitution, sex trafficking and abuse. Sometimes they think it's just a matter of bad luck. So it's important for us to raise the awareness that there are conscious actors who profit and gain from the trade of the women and children and preys on the vulnerability, especially in relation to conflict and also disaster. She says a 14-year-old girl who lost both parents to President Duterte's war on drugs was quickly sold into prostitution, contracted HIV and died in January this year. She says destinations for child sex tourism include the Filipino cities of Cebu, Palawan and El Nido, which are now also seeing high HIV rates. Voice of the Free works to help those affected by the sex trade. 
Its operations manager in Manila, Cheryl Lasagno, says the youngest victim it's had in its shelter was a one-year-old girl. From our experience, cyber sex is increasing, really. So, and, it, and the victims are getting younger and younger. Basically, it's, it's one kind of human trafficking. The youngest victim that we have catered in our shelter is a one-year-old girl that those kids are trafficked into cyber sex traffic online and the parents are the one you know facilitating the, the trafficking live streaming of abuse is also on the rise as the internet is increasingly accessible in middle and low-income countries and can be harder to detect than images and video as they are shared for some offenders live streaming leads them to sex tourism where they meet their victims in person a 33-year-old Auckland man was jailed in July for six and a half years after investigators found he'd produced video and images at a Philippines hotel he'd been staying at. Investigators established that he had produced some of them and linked them to a trip to the Philippines in 2016. He'd travelled there and paid for sexual services from an underage teenage boy. In Wellington, Detective Senior Sergeant John Michael heads the specialist Oceans Police Unit which works to protect children from online abuse. This type of offending has traditionally been associated with the Philippines. It's important to stress that this offending is linked to poverty, and a lot of the countries involved in this have high levels of poverty. And sadly, um, you know, you'll have instances where parents or caregivers will involve their children in this type of offending, as it's seen as perhaps not as harmful as... Uh, an individual being physically present in offending and the money that can be made, which albeit is small in terms of a Western point of view, maybe 50 to to $100, it's a significant source of income for these families. He says their work's hampered by technology companies shielding offenders and refusing to help police. When it comes to the exploitation of children, it's really frustrating when barriers are put in place because at the end of the day, all we want to do is identify and save these kids and I think industry needs to really take, and I'm, I'm not going to single anyone out, but in general needs to take a really long, hard look at what they're doing and think, well, how can we actually help law enforcement to protect and safeguard children? He says there are links between those who view child sex material who go on to abuse. What keeps him going is identifying and rescuing the children, including three young victims taken into care in the Philippines after the arrest of millionaire Martin Laws in Auckland three years ago. The New Zealand director of ECPAT Child Alert, Eleanor Parks, says authorities are only scratching the surface of how many New Zealanders travel overseas to abuse children and how many exploit children online. Changes in technology are definitely one of the reasons that we're seeing sexual exploitation, especially of children, just proliferate um, in most countries around the world. Crime of this sort is outpacing our law enforcement, our child protection policies, our laws. The technology is just moving faster than, than we are at the moment. She says ECPAT in the Philippines is lobbying local government, especially in tourism hotspots, to require all tourist establishments to implement a child protection policy. It also works with tourism staff and community leaders to teach them what to look for and how to respond if they suspect abuse. One child was saved from a life of sex slavery in the Middle East after a vigilant staff member was suspicious of a child about to be taken out of the country at a Filipino airport and raised the alarm.
and an American woman was this month charged with human trafficking after being accused of trying to smuggle a baby out of Manila's main airport. Some airlines, including Air New Zealand, train staff to look out for the signs of trafficking. I'm Jill Bonnet and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about exploitation of Filipinos here and by New Zealanders in the Philippines. Under the government's new accreditation regime, announced last week, specific terms and conditions will be negotiated with sectors that are highly reliant on foreign workers, such as the aged care, dairy and construction sectors. That can't come soon enough for one Filipino who's asked to remain anonymous because he fears repercussions. I was asked to pay $3,200 in cash to a recruitment and immigration consultancy, which used a Filipino agency to recruit farm workers. The farm where I worked wasn't paying me properly, and I didn't have the proper safety equipment, not even a crash helmet for going out on a motorbike on the farm. He says he hasn't been able to find out what the money was for, and he had to take out a loan back home to pay it. He started work at another farm, and says an initial bad experience can be a rite of passage for many Filipinos he's spoken to. The General Secretary of First Union, Dennis Marga, says it's a familiar story, and also in construction. The Philippine authorities outlawed workers having to pay up to $9,000 in recruitment agency fees, but says the labour hire firms have either hidden that fee or made the employers pay it. Either way, the worker is still left with the debt to pay. They thought that by paying this recruitment fee, they own those workers, and they are actually putting like a banding agreement that says that if ever you decided to leave the company, then you have to pay the sum of amount based on the recruitment fees that they incurred. Is human trafficking happening here involving Filipinos? Yeah, uh, without a doubt, it, it, it's happening. It's in the form of modern-day slavery. Rogue employers are using different kind of scheme. One is, for example, the international students. They were actually duped to study here by studying those diploma and promise them that they will be able to get permanent residency afterwards. Workers have been asked to sign a piece of document from the Philippines, and then when they arrive in New Zealand, they sign another document in order to, for them to be paid lower than what they actually been promised and what they use in immigration New Zealand. And signing a bonding agreement is another form of, of trafficking to make sure that um, despite of the lower pay, they will not be leaving. He says Filipino construction workers regret coming here and exploitation is going under the radar in rural areas. Once they have the cost of tools deducted from wages and with some unscrupulous employers signing staff up to expensive and overcrowded accommodation, there's not much left for food or to send something home. He says he's seen a payslip for $42. Families back in the Philippines have to borrow money from loan sharks to survive. He says some workers are reluctant to speak out. Some of them uh, have been asked to drive trucks even though they don't have proper license for that, but... If ever they complain, then the excuse of the employee is that if ever you cannot do the job, then you have to pack up your stuff and you will be sent back home. He says there's now a supply chain of immigration advice, accommodation and transport. But workers have sometimes been left living in caravans, converted containers and overcrowded homes. 
and landlords can make $1,000 a week in profit on a single property. And then there's the intimidation back home. The families have been threatened and the families have been spoken to by some of those recruitment agencies that if ever your husband, for example, continued to complain and speak publicly about this matter, then there will be some repercussions. And meaning it will be a harassment, intimidation, and, and it could lead not only to physical assault, it's basically death threat. He says workers have been asked for sex in return for support for their residence applications and although employers have been confronted with the allegation, it's hard to prove. One case that stands out for inhumane and slave-like conditions was a Filipino couple using their fellow countrymen in their Three Kings restaurant in Auckland. A Filipino couple sentenced earlier this year on migrant exploitation charges have had their sentences upheld by the Court of Appeal. The owners of the Three Kings restaurant in the Auckland suburb of Birkenhead hired their workers from the Philippines and made them work 12 hours a day, six days a week. Virgil In New Zealand, 60,000 Filipinos now make up a good share of the immigrant population. This year, Filipinos on work visas have started to outstrip their Chinese and British counterparts and contribute the fourth highest number of new residents. They work in healthcare, dairy farms, nursing, IT, infrastructure, transport and building. In Canterbury, Filipinos have been settled there for well over a decade after a rise in dairy farm conversions and demand from aged care facilities. The business adviser at Canterbury's Employers' Chamber of Commerce, Lisa Berdes, says their good language skills and work attitudes make them well sought after. They came skilled, ready to work, really happy to be here. Amazing employees, so they've settled really well for over a decade, but the numbers really increased around that rebuild time. But there were problems. That could be around employers not charging, I mean, overcharging for personal protection equipment or um, a lot of overtime going on or, you know, sort of worker-assisted accommodation that wasn't up to scratch. The Philippines' ambassador to New Zealand, Jesus Domingo, says Filipinos fit in well in New Zealand. With our Christian background, our family orientation, which, you know, we have the mana, we have the heart of the Maori, I think we're this wonderful combination of being family-oriented, hospitable, kind, but also very much uh, proficient in our trades and, and English-speaking. So I think that's why we, we settle very well and are well-received. He points to Paolo Garcia becoming the first Filipino MP at the Beehive as an example of how well-settled the Filipino community is. He says immigration has been an economic lifeblood, but it comes at a cost. We would like to provide more jobs and more opportunities back home so people will only have to leave as a matter of choice, not necessity. Just imagine if your mom or dad have to go overseas, or sometimes both, what happens to the kids? So, unfortunately, we do have challenges with uh, the children left behind. Then there are the dodgy recruiters and employers. Some workers are just fleeced, really overcharged, or, or given substandard accommodations, putting you know, six or seven people in the bed for one. And, um, but... Unfortunately, a lot of these uh, predators prey on the good nature, the kind nature of Filipinos and the fear of workers of being sent home because, after all, they're here to, to earn for their families back home. He hopes there'll be regulation of pastoral care to rein in the worst of the accommodation providers. But in the meantime, they're working with NGOs to provide not-for-profit housing. 
the Philippines is setting up a labour attaché office in Wellington at the end of this year or the start of next. New Zealand's currently covered by the office in Canberra, but Jesus Domingo says having one here would result in faster verification of contracts and more support for exploited workers. He says the embassy talks to the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment regularly and the issue of bonding is on the agenda. Mr Domingo says when it comes to trafficking, it's the lack of oversight of education agents that has led to the worst cases from the Philippines. The basic definition of trafficking is moving people from one country to another on the basis of false promises and they will face some sort of exploitation and hardship because of their movement. So yes, unfortunately, there is education trafficking. Problems with recruiting workers to the dairy industry are constantly bubbling to the surface and driving the need for workers from overseas. Friends, Immigration and Recruitment Agency, is one of the leading recruiters of Filipino dairy farm workers. Its managing director, Christian Arns, says scams over the years have brought thousands of Filipinos in illegally. He says some were given a pathway to residence despite using false documents initially because otherwise the dairy industry would have ground to a halt. Filipino workers in the Christchurch rebuild were affected by rogue employers and advisers and labour hire companies in the construction industry generally had been caught out with promising work that wasn't there. Over the years, there's definitely been a lot of challenges. And obviously, every time you have one of those um, companies sort of taking advantage of workers, of the system, the whole industry is punished. And it does make it more difficult because you end up with more regulation. And like the players, like ourselves, who I consider a straight player, are being sort of caught with red tape and with just incredible delays in processing. He says Filipinos are a success story. Many are agricultural graduates, both men and women, with experience from working in the Middle East and Japan. But changes made to immigration rules in 2017 meant some low-skilled workers couldn't bring their families over, and for a family-focused country, that had been devastating, something he regarded as shameful. It's just outrageous. New Zealand's (laughs) signed up to so many human rights commissions that were just thrown out of the window right then and there, because really what we're saying is we don't care about your family, especially if you're poor and low-skilled or paid, and the only way we care about your family and you is if you've got lots of money, lots of skill, and then you know we consider that you have a right to have a family. That particular provision was overturned by the government last week, and workers will now be allowed to bring their families with them. But he says companies with low-skilled workers miss out because of the same 2017 rule changes, which means staff members that have worked in New Zealand for three years have to return home. He welcomes news of a Philippine Overseas Labour Office, or POLO for short, being set up locally. For employers or any sort of POEA issues that need to be addressed, have to go to Canberra and... It's the red tape round is very challenging, and the Philippine Embassy here in New Zealand, Wellington, does not really deal with certain issues, so it's a little bit of a ping pong effect. So, if Polo actually comes to New Zealand, which is at the moment, I think, on the card, I think it'll be good for us, for everyone. The US State Department's Trafficking in Persons report this year says New Zealand meets minimum standards, but initiated only two trafficking investigations and didn't identify or assist any sex trafficking victims. 
It says the conflation of trafficking, prostitution and smuggling by some officials and social services providers may have left some victims unidentified and a lack of coordination between the government and social and health agencies may have resulted in ineffective referral procedures. The Assistant General Manager at Immigration New Zealand, Peter DeVoy, says recent prosecutions show that exploitation is everywhere and is often hidden in plain sight. The incidence of exploitation in New Zealand, I'd say, is growing. It's everywhere. Our latest sentencing involved a case of exploitation which happened in Katy Katy and Pyro. We've also had prosecutions in Gore, and we've had them in Blenheim, Nelson, over in the Hawke's Bay, all around the country. People need to be out there and talking to them, and that's part of being welcoming as Kiwis, but it also needs to be that check around how are you, how are you being treated, what's your situation, because someone will know what's going on and it needs to be brought out into the open. He says employers have to improve and workers have to come forward. He says otherwise corruption will take over and genuine businesses will suffer. One of the trends that we have noted from our investigations and prosecutions is that the offenders are usually of the same nationality type as the victims. He says they will pursue all the cases they find, but they can't prosecute their way out of the problem. The deceptional coercion element of trafficking often happens offshore in a foreign country. It's usually by word of mouth where the deception is caused and if there is a payment of money, that money is often in cash, which doesn't leave an investigative trail. It leaves one person's word against another. The government's plan of action on trafficking is being expanded to include forced labour, debt bondage and other forms of contemporary slavery. Its announcement of accreditation in a new employer-led work visa is aimed at plugging job shortages and reducing exploitation. But secrecy, complicity, threats and the difficulty of mounting cross-border investigations are still barriers to shining a light into these dark places. And while these workers remain in the shadows and their chains are invisible, New Zealand will, for some be a country where an evil immigration and exploitation trade is flourishing. That programme was written and presented by Jill Bonnet. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on Insight, Guyan Espiner investigates the big four Australian banks and the Reserve Bank Governor's plans to rein them in. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. It's been great to have you listening, and do join us again next time.